how do you price an ad on your channel? That's probably the most common question we get from other creators. And it was the biggest question we had when we first started on YouTube. So we're hosting a live workshop on how to price yourself. This is everything that we've learned in the past 13 years of being on YouTube and our simple three-step process that'll help you develop concrete pricing. So if you wanna join us for this live session, just go to colinandsamir.com slash live. Enter your email and you'll get all the information about our live event on May 9th. All right, hope you enjoy this episode of The Colin and Samir Show. What's up, everyone? Welcome to this episode of The Colin and Samir Show. On this episode, we are doing creator support. This is the show where we give you insights to help support your creativity. That's the new tagline that we just came up with. Now, basically how this works is you ask us questions and we answer them. Most of these questions come from our creator support form via the published press. We answer these questions in our newsletter every Sunday, uh, and we also answer them here on the podcast. We're also gonna pull some questions that you guys asked us on YouTube as well. But before we start this episode, we wanna let you know that our episode of How I Built This is live today. Now, this was a big moment for us to record this show with Guy Raz, uh, a show that we have looked up to for a long time um, and been very inspired by. So excited to be on the show. We'd love it if you guys listen to it and let us know what you think. I haven't listened to it yet. I haven't either. So we'll listen to it with you guys. Okay. All right, here we go. Let's get into creator support. All right, so Colin, you're at a coffee shop and you've just ordered your latte, let's say. And they flip the screen over to you and ask you how much you want to tip. It starts at 20%, goes to 25, I think, and maybe up to 30. Now with LA prices you're looking down the barrel of a very significant coffee price. What mm. are you doing in this scenario? More likely than not, I am giving into the pressure and I'm tipping 20%. However, yeah, talk to me. If I'm ordering a cold brew or a drip coffee, which I feel does not take that much preparation. Mm. No tip. Great distinction there. Yeah. I never thought about that. Yeah, start thinking about it. That's good. See, I just think I'm all for tipping. I think tipping Are you? Lovely. Okay. I think it's a lovely before practice. we were recording this, no, no, it's a you lovely said you practice. wanted to revolutionize uh, yeah, tipping like, and that this country I, should I have think it's a, a broader, discourse about I'm tipping. I'm all for tipping. I think we've gotten a little bit gratuitous with you, our tipping. I want to say for the record, you, okay, you were, you were screaming, screaming about this, about how much you hate gratuity. I think there needs to be an overhaul yeah. on tipping in America. So that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You starting with I'm all for tipping yeah. is like someone saying, no offense, but okay, now let me just offend you. Right. So now again, I'm all for tipping as a concept. I think people should be tipped, but I think we've gone a little off the rails with these iPads uh, that, that give percentages that were never part of the tipping conversation. Uh, I think this episode has gone off the rails. Is this supporting anyone's creativity? I, I, okay, we will, we will get into our first question, but I guess I'll pass the question off of, to you, everyone who's listening. What do you do in that situation? What do you think? Do we need an overhaul on tipping? in America. Wow, right. real anti-tipping agenda today. Not anti-tipping. Not see it coming. I just think we've got into percentages that yeah. were never a part of the tipping conversation. I think everyone should make as much money as they can and that we should all share. How about that? Absurd. How about okay. that? Okay. All right, here we go. First question comes from Chris Mackey. Chris, what's up, man? Um, he says, what can YouTube do better for creators? More money, more views, more opportunities, what are some specific pain points that suck for creators but shouldn't? Now, first and foremost, the relationship between YouTube and its creators, I think that's, a, that's just a naturally challenging relationship 
um, because of the, 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 the power dynamics there, um, the, the codependency, the symbiotic relationship. It's, it's a very unique relationship between platform and creators, but I did want to highlight Susan Wojcicki going on Ludwig's podcast. I thought that was one of the greatest showcases of the platform engaging with the creators and actually bringing a, a level of transparency and, and humanizing the platform in a way that I had never seen before. I give Ludwig a lot of credit for being himself in that interview. Is there anything you do want in your statistics that you don't get? <sighs> okay, yeah. I don't think you know about this. Okay. The live stream. Um, anal- mm. Can I swear? Yeah. They're dog shit. He, he also offered her his goose ass NFT. <laughs> yeah, he was going for it. <laughs> and she rolled with the punches. Yeah. I don't wow. think I'm going to be a proud owner of goose ass. I <laughs> Honestly, your loss. My loss, my loss, my loss. I thought it was a great interview. They both seemed really relaxed. And I definitely would encourage her and more employees at YouTube to do things like this and show up on creators platforms. I think they should be working with creators to bring more communication and more transparency to the platform. That's my high level advice for YouTube is to work more with creators to announce things, maybe talk about features, talk about monetization, talk about whatever's changing, but do that natively with creators. Because I think, I think that's what we all want is just a little bit more communication, a little bit more transparency, a little bit more understanding about how things work. That and A-B testing on thumbnails. That and A-B testing on thumbnails. That's without question. That would help us out so much if we could have two different options for thumbnails and then both of them could go out to a different set of audience and the data would come back and tell us, actually, you should go with this one rather than this one. Yeah, it would actually automatically just pick. It would just say this one's having a higher CTR or both would be out and just be served to different audiences who are more likely to click on them. This is how Netflix works. Like, have you ever have you ever noticed that on Netflix where you just, you go in and you're like, wait a second, that's a completely different thumbnail. But I've already seen that show. Yeah. But, but now, it's, now it's kind of looking like a rom-com. Now it's more enticing. Yeah. It's, it's a completely different experience. So I think allowing us to have different thumbnails the thumbnail is one of the biggest barriers to entry for us and for all creators. Um, having some support in picking, selecting, and making that a more collaborative pl- process between us and the platform. I think that would be great. All right. Nelson says, is there something that we will look back on with embarrassment? There was a long period of time when all of our videos started with way too much context. So someone would click on a video and we basically would start all the way back at Hi, if you just clicked on this video, you're on YouTube. We're also on YouTube. (laughs) And this is a place where we tell stories. Stories are a thing that can (laughs) connect with people and change their lives. A life is something that you have (laughs) and we have. Yeah. And that's why. I'm very embarrassed by that as well. Um, I think it's natural. There's, There's this quote that we've said for years that comes from, you know, the Silicon Valley tech world, um, which is if you aren't embarrassed by your first version of your product, then you've launched too late. So I think it's part of the creator or entrepreneurial journey to constantly look back and be embarrassed. I mean, we look back at episodes from our show from a year ago and we're like, what are we doing? And I think we'll look back a year from now at episodes of our show and be like, what are we doing? So I think it's part of the process. I would say the solve for that is to understand that if you're on YouTube, your title and your thumbnail are already the act one of your story. Right. There's enough information between those two things. Or there should be enough information that once someone clicks, you can pick up where that where those two elements left off. 
One other thing I'm embarrassed about is that even the outfit that I'm currently wearing today, when I look at episodes and YouTube videos that we've made, like in 2017, I'm wearing the exact same thing. Yeah, I'm embarrassed have, for you. Yeah, I have not changed my wardrobe at all. All right. Uh, this is from Nick. Nick says, hello. Hi, Nick. I've been posting weekly for about four months with no real progress towards finding my niche. Is it possible for you to have your niche be you, your personality? Like, does that work in the long run? This is something we spoke about in our episode about Amelia de Moldenberg, who has a show called Chicken Shop Date, where she interviews musicians. She has a really funny sort of character that she plays. That's her personality in the videos where she's almost like rude to the person that she's interviewing. And you feel like you get to get a sense of who she is. And she's at a point where she's interviewing these big time musicians, but she started with a super indie scene in the UK that she could actually have access to. And what she did there was find her wedge. She found a way to get in to a community. And I think that's what every creator has to do from the start. You have to find a community that will give you access that is underserved, interested in what you have to say. And then on top of that, you can layer on your personality. And you know, even for us as an example, our episodes now include a lot more personality than they used to maybe two years ago because yeah. we were afraid to show too much of ourselves, but we feel like we've kind of earned that now. Yeah, I, I think earn is the right word. I think you do have to earn trust with your audience. Essentially in any business, you're, you're building trust. And once you've, once you've garnered that trust, then you can start to layer in new things and people are there for you. Um, I think uh, Binging with Babish is another great example where it's like you're originally there because the ideas are really interesting and he's remaking the Krabby Patty and, um, you know, outside uh, of that, it might be hard to just start like a pure personality-based channel. So I think it can be you, but it takes time. All right, this one comes from Seb Vaughn says, what characteristics differ between YouTubers who succeed and those who fail? First thing I would say is find something that you truly love for a lot of creators that's actually making the videos. Or it can be the topic that you're talking about, the people that you're speaking to. Find something that you would want to do even if it wasn't on YouTube, it wasn't a part of this career because longevity is such a key, right? So you have to truly love what you're doing. I think to piggyback on that, the reason why that's important is because the people who win and the people who succeed, not only on YouTube, but essentially in, in any business, the X factor is time in market. How long are you in that space? How long are you doing that thing? Because it, it's almost like a natural weeding out process of people who are serious about that thing and not serious. And what I've noticed is that the fact that we've been in this industry for 10 years has unlocked a lot of opportunities for us because we know a lot of people. People trust us. They also know we're real. We actually want to do this. We've been doing it for 10 years. We've been with it through the ups, through the downs. We've been around the people in the industry, people who we knew 10 years ago are now decision makers at other companies. So things unlock for you in different ways. You learn about the platform, you get reps being a creative. So think about 10 years out and just be like, I want to, do I actually want to do this for the next 10 years? Do I want to do this for the next you know, 20 years. KSI tweeted something and I don't typically take my inspirational quotes from KSI, but I'm going to take it from him. Okay. He said, the reward of hard work is more hard work. Preach. And I really like that because I think that's true. Whatever you're doing, it's just like, it's just going to result in 
doing more of that thing. That's what being successful means. So I think characteristic of a successful YouTube creator is someone who, like you mentioned, actually wants to do this thing, is willing to do it for a really long period of time, and then actually does it for a really long period of time. Three more things. Don't try to do too many things. Be a student of the platform and find a sustainable format that will let you upload for a long period of time. Gabriel Shamu is our next uh, creator asking for some more support. What? I just huh? messed that up. Um, all right. He says, in your interviews, you both ask the most insightful and sincere question, which leads your guests to feeling comfortable to share. Besides reps, how else have you honed this skill over time? Much love from South Africa. Wow. All the way from South Africa. I think my first answer to this would be just that we are authentically interested in the guests. Yeah, I, I would say try and just be naturally curious. I have something I've realized throughout all of our interviews over the past two years is that everyone has surprised me and is more interesting than I expected them or I gave them credit for. There have been some creators that I wasn't always sure if it was going to be a great interview. And then we sat down with them for an hour and a half, two hours, and I was blown away and I could have gone for another three. So I think just be naturally curious because everyone has something interesting to say and make sure you're present when they're responding to you and you're not trying to necessarily bring them on the trajectory that you want and you're following at times where they want to go. That's a really important one uh, that I've struggled with, you know, where you have questions in mind that you can't wait to ask your guest, uh, but you actually just have to be present, listen to what they say and, and react and respond to what they're saying, uh, not just what you want to say next. You said something earlier that I can't get off my mind. Okay. I finished talking and you said, I'm going to piggyback on that. Yeah. Where does that term come from? Piggyback. That's, that feels, oh, piggyback. It's oh, like okay, okay. similar I thought you were to, asking me what that meant. I was no, like, Colin. I know what it means, but if anyone listening remembers a couple episodes ago, we were talking about striking while the iron is hot. Turns out that actually has to do with real iron when you're a blacksmith. So I felt like this is a natural progression to go from that to now piggyback. I th it, there must be some type pigs of situation where people have were, to do with following up. No, I, th a, I think people were probably riding pigs at some point, you know, and mm. they were sitting on the back of pigs. All right. This question <laughs> yep. comes from Nikita. She says, what's the future for poets and creative writers in the world of crypto and NFTs? I would imagine the future is pretty bright. seems like crypto and NFTs have been a really positive place for artists to monetize their careers. Yeah, I think it's just like bringing the art market online um, in a really interesting way. I think that, you know, I could see a world where poetry, like owning poetry is interesting. I don't know if that exists outside of the internet. Like, do, do, is it like valuable to own the original work for poetry? You know, I don't know if it's, I don't think it's the same as, you know, art, but there's a platform called Mirror that if you're interested in this, you should look up. There's a lot of people sharing creative writing on this platform and people are buying into it, you know, not only wanting to own the original piece or the, you know, the verifiably um, original piece. So I think ownership does matter. I think ownership of creative work matters. And we are starting to see this happen with this platform Mirror. So look up Mirror if you're interested in this. And then to, to piggyback off of this, yeah, I did it. I said <laughs> just it again. keep on piggybacking. I just man. wanted to say it again because it was topical. It's called a callback. You're piggybacking um, on yourself now. Yeah, that's right. I'm giving that's myself a, a piggyback. Right? Piggyback back again. Um, Logan Paul just 
announced a new project, which I think feels like something we say every week. Um, but he uh, announced this new project called 99 Originals, where he's selling these original photographs as NFTs. So I think, you know, to, to look at what's happening, and especially with what he's doing, he's, he's selling them as NFTs, and then that's creating a group of people in a DAO, which is a decentralized autonomous organization. I'm not going to go to crypto Samir here, but I'm going to just, you know, I'll scratch the surface. Uh, and those people are going to actually be able to decide what they do as a group, what they buy, how they invest. So I think that, you know, there's a world where we might see a book that's written by a group of people that's all done via crypto, you know, that's done through a DAO in a similar way. We probably, there's probably a whole episode on crypto that we have to do. I'm not going to go too deep right now, but I would just say, look up mirror and see what's happening over there. There's definitely a world of creative writing and, and poetry that's happening on mirror. Only thing I'm going to say here is that the success of these different crypto projects all comes down to brand. I think it has a lot more to do with brand than it does utility. Yeah. You look at Logan's originals launch. There's not that much guaranteed utility yet. It's pretty vague. It's mainly about the video he put out, the people who are co-signing it within the video. Yep. That's what it is. You know, he's built a brand and, and a, you know, whether you're a poet or a creator uh, a video, whatever you're doing, it's about the brand, the story of what you're doing, not always exactly what you're making. All right. This question is from Yogan. I really hope I'm saying that correctly. Uh, how are you guys so good at creating parasocial relationships? That's an interesting one. We touched on it briefly in the published press a week ago, but you know, creating a parasocial relationship is not something we set out necessarily to do. And the, the parasocial relationship is this one-sided relationship that occurs when you have someone like a YouTube creator who's, you know, speaking into a lens and there's someone on the other end, but you're not actually forming a real relationship. It's not something we, it, it we like think mimics, too much about. Yeah. It mimics a real relationship, but you don't actually have that because you spend time with the person you you know, it oftentimes happens with podcasters because you, you kind of occupy the space in their mind. They're like, you're in their ear potentially more than their own family, their friends, like they're spending 50 minutes uninterrupted. Um, so the thing about a parasocial relationship, and I think when it happens with creators is when the setting is so natural that the people are actually being themselves, um, and that happened a lot with daily vlogging. You know, Casey Neistat, I think, is a great example of that. Emma Chamberlain is a great example of that. And I think for us, the reason why maybe, you know, you, Yogan, are, are, are feeling this way or, um, you know, other people who feel this way, it's because we are actually having a conversation. Like, we are, we are filming ourselves having a conversation, whether it's with another creator or with, or with each other. And that mimics a real life scenario where you could be sitting at the table while we're having that conversation. Yeah, I think anytime you have a group of people, a duo, whatever it is, it's a authenticity check when the camera is rolling because Samir has context on who I am. How far could I really stretch the bounds of who I actually am when we're on camera together without Samir interjecting and calling me out? So I think it's to our benefit that there's two of us. I think when you look at Yes Theory, they're, they're naturally friends with each other. They're creating real interactions. So it's much easier to get a sense of who they are and to feel like you could be friends with them. All right. Mateo says, what are some things you never expected out of the YouTuber slash creator economy? I don't know if I ever expected it to 
reach the level that it has and, and be given its own vocabulary of being called the creator economy? Because we've been doing this for 10 years and I really do not remember referring to people like Dude Perfect as a creator. No. Back in that, that no. time or Phil DeFranco or even Casey Neistat, really. Maybe towards the end of Casey Neistat vlogging did I start to hear the word creator. But the word creator economy felt to me like it really came about in 2020 during the pandemic. Yeah, I'm... I'm just overall kind of surprised that it grew the way it grew and it's how desirable it is to be a YouTube creator because when we first started, it was not desirable. We were like being on YouTube was the stepchild of television. You know, it was the, it was the, uh, you know, undesirable place to do entertainment. And today it feels as though it's the most desirable. Um, and you're seeing actors come on, you're seeing Hollywood um, try and solve how to become creators. And I think that is, is, is kind of, I guess, both expected and unexpected. Um, cause I think we both thought it early on. We were like, this is where everything's happening. But I, I think the pace at which it's happened and the size and the scale, I mean, do you know that last year, $13 billion in brand partnerships were transacted in the creator economy. And this year it's on pace to be 15 million sorry, 15 billion, $15 billion transacted. Wow. It's only growing. And I think what's so interesting is that this is a real career path now, like a true career path. And there's roadmaps and there's ways to do it right. I think that's one of the most surprising things from this whole industry for me. All right. From Zach, what job in the creator space do you believe is the, is it has the most demand with the least amount of people doing it in the creator world? I got two. I think there's a surplus of people that can help you on the creative side. There's a lot of really talented freelance editors, designers, storytellers out there, but there's not, there aren't too many people I know that are really great at the business side because this career is so new. So you know, obviously in our relationships, Samir, you've played that role a lot more, but how many people are there that really understand creator business that can help creators at scale? Not very many. I mean, and, and, and I think one of the challenges is that because there's so few of those people, they oftentimes play the role of manager or agent or, or an external person, but creators are looking a lot less like talent today and a lot more like media companies which creates this situation where you don't necessarily need an external manager. You need an internal operator. You need a president or a CEO or a director of operations. I think that job is about to be in serious demand and has the least amount of people looking at it because those people want to potentially be managers or something like that. But I think you can, things will bode really well for you if you go in-house with the creator and say, let's build a company, not necessarily, you know, I'm your talent manager. I think that's, that's a really exciting um, world. Now, the other side, I also think is like community manager. Mm. I think people are talking about that a lot in, in crypto. They're talking a lot of, about a lot in, in creators. Um, but a lot of the product of being a creator is having a community. So you're seeing discords pop up. You're seeing these environments pop up where creators are trying to develop their own spaces for their communities. And that requires like department heads and, and a whole structure of how, what, is, what is the world of community. So I think the business of community is about to take off. I can't wait until we hire a community manager yeah. who can start to really understand all of the messages we're getting, connect members of our community with each other, 
start sending out merch, different things, just holding events. I think that'll be so interesting and, and monitoring the discord, like you said, like if it's even a discord. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited about that as well. So that, that is someone we're currently looking for, uh, and trying to figure out, but I think those are the two roles is head of operations, president, CEO, um, as well as a community manager. All right. Those are all our questions, Colin. So if you have more questions, you can ask us, uh, in our creator support forum. You can find that by subscribing to the published press. We link it in there. Uh, you can go to thepublishpress.com, subscribe to our newsletter, join over 29,000 people who read our newsletter. And if you're interested in tipping, our tips start at 20%. We have a 25% option. And then we also have a 30. And you can just tweet us publicly how much you would like to tweet to, to tip us. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. good. Not really, though. You don't have to tip us. It's fine. Uh, you can tip me. Um, okay, so the last thing I'll say is listen to our episode of How I Built This. Uh, it is out now. Let us know what you think about it. Uh, we're so excited. Thank you so much to Guy Raz uh, and the whole How I Built This team for having us on that show. Uh, outside of that, we'll see you on Monday. Nope. I got one more thing. All right, Colin. Otter pops. You know what they are, right? Of course. Liquid flavored pops. You put them in the freezer, then you have a nice pop. Uh-huh. If there was a creator who was going to bring it back and buy the company and be the face of Otter Pops, which creator would it be? I think Ryan Trahan could do that. I think so too. I think Ryan Trahan could bring yeah. back Otter Pops. He's just so friendly and has this mass audience like Mr. Beast. It's an affordable product. It's colorful. We should do this. That was really random. That's what happens when you're scrolling Twitter while you're also doing the podcast. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.